0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Spacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: The safety net is really what people think of when they think of the farm bill. Really most of it is food stamps, uh, at least the cost of it. My big concern with the safety net, it's usually the wealthiest farmers that are getting this money. Most farmers don't even get these subsidies, and certainly the focus is not on crop losses.
2: You know, I said, I'm a Matthew 25, try to follow the, the lesson of serving the least fortunate among us. You know, when I was hungry, you gave me food, thirsty, you gave me uh, drink, stranger, and you welcomed me naked and you clothed me sick and you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Six, six groups that, uh, that's not exclusive, but that's a good place to start with your charitable work. And
0: now, Stacy Washington. I
3: think, uh... I have to say, as I tweeted out earlier today, that um, Justice Kavanaugh is uh, a, a man that if if we had the opportunity to spend time with him and he was in our personal sphere as a friend, someone we went to baseball games with or someone our kids, uh, you know, he's coaching our kids on a team or he's another parent at the school where our kids are attending school uh, with his kids, that we would be very happy to have his acquaintance and and he he appears to me by all intents and purposes to be an honorable man and it is very, it's it's disheartening to me to see as an American to see the way his family is being treated because he's been nominated to the Supreme Court. It's as if the nomination is a red flag in front of a bunch of raging bulls that his family is uh, you know, uh, it's legitimate to attack his family, the children and his wife. I just heard Uh, as much as I could from him today during the hearing and at every turn he was both capable and knowledgeable while having a a really his he he seems to be his personality seems to be that of a very serious person who also has a very deep uh, kind of moral center that stems from his faith and so uh, you know I'm Obviously, when when people go out and, and take on these extraordinary opportunities as he has in accepting this nomination and going forward for the confirmation, it means that he will be tested. And uh, it, it, But I, I do think there's a limit to that testing and that we as a nation on both sides of the political aisle should always be cognizant of the fact that. Once the emotions calm down and once we're no longer enraged over the idea that he's against abortion or he's against, you know, these sacred cows that you have to go on and you have to kind of live by what you what you said and did And everyone makes mistakes. Everyone, everyone loses their temper, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's not about not being human. But I think that what we're seeing is outrageous and uh, it's it should be concerning to all of us. Um you know, and I, I, I really you get kind of calloused at some points, but your family doesn't. Your family members don't get calloused, children don't get calloused. Um, you know, the spouses of individuals who are in the public eye don't get they don't get calloused. and and it's not fair to voice these kinds of attacks on them as well. Uh, so I, I really I have deep sympathy for his wife and the daughters in uh, having to be a part of this process. I, i'm I'm firmly of the mind that he's going to be confirmed. Simply because the numbers are there, and so the circus seems a bit unwarranted because it's not going to change the outcome. Welcome to the program's hour two of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I want to ask now that we're about six weeks away from our next Share-a-thon, please consider no, don't consider it. Do it. We want to hear from you uh, in preparation for October Share-a-thon, We are collecting stories about how Urban Family Talk has impacted the lives of our listeners. So your story could actually be an encouragement or a blessing to those who uh, may be listening for the first time or tune into the network for the first time during share And so we would love to have you call in in your spare time this weekend or whenever. Call 877-327-5647. That's 877-327-5647. We're going to be airing the stories in the weeks prior to share as well as during share and it would be really great to hear your voice on the radio talking about how Urban Family Talk has impacted you. So that number, again, is 877-327-5647. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so now, first, since I was just talking about Justice Kavanaugh and his fitness, um, there's a woman who is an avowed liberal. She's pro-abortion. She's someone who would be the last person in the world you would think would ever support Justice Kavanaugh's nomination. But she came out in favor of Justice Kavanaugh, and it has made news. Her name's Lisa Blatt, and she is on the radio here talking about Kavanaugh being the best choice that liberals could hope for. It's number three. Obviously, I know that Judge Kavanaugh has a conservative judicial outlook. And if he is confirmed, he will have one of nine votes to definitively decide the meaning of the Constitution, including just how far to read it to protect the reproductive rights of women. Now, if it were up to me, Justice Ginsburg would have all nine votes. But that's not our system, and the reality is that the presidency and the Senate are in Republican hands. Judge Kavanaugh is the best choice that liberals could reasonably hope for in these circumstances. I am sure that some members of the Senate knew that they would disagree with Justice Ginsburg's legal views when she was a nominee. But Justice Ginsburg was confirmed 96 to 3. And that's the cake taker. Remember what the Democrats said during the confirmation hearing for uh, for for any of the liberal justices? It was it's not about how they'll adjudicate cases. It's about their fitness. Are they qualified? One of them had never even been a judge before and was still confirmed because the advise and consent role is not about deciding who it is. It's about advising and giving consent on the fitness of the nominee. Huge double standard. Huge, big, huge. Uh, so now I want to pivot over to Jeffrey Owens. So if you remember Elvin from The Cosby Show, he was the husband of Sandra and he had a lot of growing up to do on the show even though when he enters the the scene he's already uh, graduated with a bachelor's in his in his in medical school with Sandra and that's where they meet and fall in love and they get married and then they have these adorable little twins and the whole time he's a bit of a sexist he's misogynistic and he kind of runs up against the buzzsaw that is Claire um, Huxtable, the the mom of, of the program and the interactions are hilarious because she just cuts him to bits all the time but he never really learns anything and so he was one of the fun characters, he was a foil, someone who brought a lot of light-hearted uh, you know, just <laughs> it was ridiculous really um, the things he would say on the show but it made you laugh, like whenever you'd see him enter the scene you knew he was going to get roasted by Claire and that he was going to be hilarious and so since then, he's had other roles. He, uh, I believe he had a role on uh, something called Divorce on HBO. I haven't seen much of him on TV, but it hadn't occurred to me that he might be working a regular job. But that's what he's been doing. For the past 15 months, he's been employed at Trader Joe's. Still in California, he's still a working actor. But as most actors work other jobs to meet, make ends meet, he really didn't think anything of it. Well, Someone and he said he would get recognized there often. Someone recognized him at the Trader Joe's. They took his picture and it was a very unflattering image because he's put on some weight. And they put that up and said, "Look at him. He's working at Trader Joe's." And mocking ensued, mocking by individuals who probably don't have jobs themselves, but they felt it fit to mock him for working at Trader Joe's, which is actually an honorable place to work. Um, it's not illegal. And a lot of people who shop at Trader Joe's like myself really appreciate the people who work there because how else would I be able to buy anything? So immediately a backlash ensued. A lot of people didn't appreciate Elvin from the Cosby show getting mocked for having what they called a regular job. And that resulted in a complete uh, reversal of fortunes. And now... Things have changed significantly. So he's he's still working at Trader Joe's, by the way. You know, spoiling that for you. So it's number five. He's explaining this to Robin uh, Roberts.
4: I wanted a job that I could have some flexibility, um, try to stay in the business. Uh, I didn't advertise that I was, you know you know, at Trader Joe's only, but not that I was ashamed of it, but because I didn't want the entertainment community to kind of decide, well, Uh, he's doing that. He's not in, you know, he's not pursuing acting anymore. You know what? I felt like I had to be careful about that. So, um... But, um, How long did you work there? Did people I, recognize you I, when you were working. I worked there for 15 months mm. before this happened. A couple before this all broke, <laughs> and um, uh, people recognized me every day, and they were very, very cool about it. Sometimes, like too cool. Like, like, like they'd be like, "Oh, you work here?" I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, cool. It was no big, no big deal." It's like, "Really? It's mm-hmm. no big deal at all."
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, "Well, have you been getting good. any calls now?"
4: acting jobs you know what I mean not really I mean there's been like some hints interest and stuff Mm -hmm. And you know what honestly I mean I actually I know this might sound weird and um, I wouldn't feel comfortable getting acting jobs from this event you know what I mean I I wouldn't mind getting auditions right I don't mind if people call me in to try out for things due to what's happened but I actually wouldn't feel comfortable someone giving me a job Because this happened. I want to get a job because I'm the right person for that job. Yes, exactly. So, but there is, there's all kinds of interest now because of this. So Mm -hmm. that, and that's nice. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm more of a celebrity now than I've ever been. I'm more celebrity now than when I actually was a celebrity. (laughs) That makes sense.
3: So he has a really great attitude about it. And if you remember his character, he was a fun character on the show and Sometimes it felt like he wasn't really acting, not about the the sexist comments, but um, just the fact that he was really kind of lighthearted. He went to Yale University, by the way. That's where he got his acting degree from. Um, And so he was always going to be an actor and he was always going to be, you know, doing doing something in that career field because he went to college for that. So when he appeared on uh, the Today Show to have this conversation, he had his Yale hat on and his Trader Joe's badge because he's not ashamed of working there. And I really think it's it's interesting that people on Twitter, people who are using um, you know, pseudonyms for their names, they're not even their real self on the platform, are mocking him for working at Trader Joe's like there's something wrong with that. Um the man is gainfully employed and taking care of his family by working at Trader Joe's. That is an honorable thing to do. I mean, there it's it's not that <laughs> It's not that Trader Joe's is honorable as a workplace, but it's no less honorable than any other workplace. And the honorable portion of it is that instead of laying around or trying to collect some benefits, he's like, hey, I don't have acting work right now. I'm going to work at Trader Joe's. Well, I mean, what's the big deal? So he goes on to talk about um, that he's now more of a celebrity than ever, and he also shares some truth about work. And I just thought it was such a great moment for television. And there's so many millions of people who need to hear it, who need to hear that that one job offer you got that was for um, administrative assisting or the, the only person that called you back when you sent your resumes out was the temp agency. Because I used to temp. I, w- I was like a temp extraordinaire. I can tell you I should make a list of all the places I worked as a temp when I first left the Air Force because I was kind of trying things out and trying to figure out what do I want to do. I should make a list of that. You'd be amazed at the places I actually saw the inside of working as a temp and how once you get there, you go in and you're like, oh, it's reception. It's only paying this much per hour, but I need to be working right now. You know, I I can't be sitting around at home. We didn't have any kids at the time, so I would just go. Whatever whatever assignment they call me for, I'd go. So I would start off doing reception and then they would realize, oh, did you just, I'm like, yeah, I I saw the email about that. I did that. Oh, could you do this? They would be bringing stuff to my desk. And then at some point, they'd call another temp to come in and do the reception job. And they'd move me into another area to do stuff in there because they realized I could do stuff. It's amazing how if you'll just take that opportunity, it leads to so much more. So here he is. He's talking about this. It's it's an amazing audio clip. It's number six.
4: I do want to say this. I do want to say this. You know, this business of... My being this Cosby guy who got shamed for working at Trader Joe's, that's going to pass. You know what? That's going to, you know, in some measure of time, that's going to pass away. But I hope what doesn't pass is this idea that people are now thinking, this rethinking about what it means to work. You know, the the honor of the working person and the dignity of work. And
3: And then we'll pick it back up when we come back on the other side. You can also call in if you want, 866 963 2037. 866 963 2037. Stacy on the Ride here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Be right back.
0: When our health insurance renewal notice arrived last fall, my wife and I made the decision to drop our plan. With the monthly premiums and deductible, we'd have to pay $30,000 just to use it. So we did our homework and switched to MediShare. The cost savings are incredible, over $500 a month, and we don't have to pay for services we don't need or don't agree with. Then out of the blue, she had to have emergency surgery. Scary stuff hundred fifty thousand dollars in hospital bills, and Medishare members took care of everything. All we paid was our small portion. I'm a doctor who's been in healthcare for twenty years, and this is one of the most impressive programs I've ever seen. Thank God she's fully recovered, and now we're telling everyone about Medishare.
2: Call eight five five Psalm
0: twenty three to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. Medishare. Call 855 Psalm 23. That's 855 Psalm 23. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. What questions should senators ask of Judge Brett Kavanaugh? George Will listed some constitutional questions worth asking of the judge, but as I read some of them on my radio program, I could almost see the listener's eyes glaze over because of the academic nature of George Will's column. Here's my attempt to simplify some of his questions. The Supreme Court ruled in 1958 that a law that required disclosure of NAACP membership lists was an infringement of freedom of association. The justices ruled that anonymity was necessary to shield NAACP supporters from danger, so shouldn't the court overturn mandatory disclosure laws now used by progressive activists to target conservative individuals? The court also ruled 5-4 to four that a state cannot limit by statute the number of terms that a member of Congress can serve, the majority argue that term limits create additional qualifications for office, but Justice Clarence Thomas dissented by saying that the Constitution only set minimum eligibility requirements. It is silent about the state's power to set term limits. We learned in school that the federal government had certain delegated powers and the rest were reserved to the states and the people. And it appears that Justice Thomas was correct, and so if Judge Kavanaugh agrees, the 5-4 decision could go the other way, and states could set limits on Congress. George Will ends with a humorous question. If Congress wants a healthy workforce, then could Congress, under its power to regulate interstate commerce, require Americans to eat their broccoli? If not, why not? Of course, he's raising the important concern that the Commerce Clause has been used to justify everything from trade policy to health care policy. These are good questions, but I'm not sure too many senators will be asking them of the judge during the confirmation hearings. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy
4: on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I do want to say this. You know, this business of... My being this Cosby guy who got shamed for working at Trader Joe's, that's going to pass. You know, that that's going to, you know, in some measure of time, that's going to pass away. But I hope what doesn't pass is this idea that people are now thinking, this rethinking about what it means to work. You know, the, the honor of the working person and the dignity of work, and I hope that this period that we're in now where we have a heightened sensitivity about that and a reevaluation of of what it means to work and that uh, a reevaluation of the idea that some jobs are better than others because that's actually not true there is no job that's better than another job it might pay better it might have better benefits it might look better on a resume and on paper but actually it's not better every job is worthwhile and and valuable and if if we have a, a you know a kind of a rethinking about that because of what's happened to me um uh, that would be great but no one should feel sorry for me either from a, a positive or a negative perspective i've had a great life i've had a great career and um i've i've had a career that most actors would really you know would die for so no one has to feel sorry for me i'm i'm, I'm doing fine <sighs>
3: So first of all, how fascinating is it that we had Dr. Jeffress on to talk about his book, which talks about work, excellence, all of that. And it's out today. It's just released today. And then you have this story that has been kind of percolating and developing, uh, resulting with him having this interview this morning where he talks about this. uh, Jeffrey Owens talks about this on the Today Show. And he says, there is no... You know, there's no bad work. Now, there are jobs that you may not ever intend on doing for the rest of your life. There are interim jobs that you take where you're like, I just have to take this. I, I, I got to take this. I have to make this money. And as long as the job is legal and morally upright, there's no bad work. We not only deserve to have this conversation about that, but we deserve to... Push that as a narrative, not just to other people who are maybe working in, in jobs, you know, oh, I, I can't believe, you know, I, you're, you're maybe doing trash collecting or something like that. That's an honorable job. We need people to organize and collect refuse. There, there's a television show called Dirty Jobs and Mike Rowe is the host of that program and I actually got to meet him um, at the set of the Huckabee show when I was on that program and it was pretty amazing to meet Mike Rowe. And he's the kind of person who not only does he love people who work dirty jobs, but he has a lot of respect for them and he loves getting in with them and doing what they do for, for the interviews. He like attempts to do what they do. It's honorable for all of the people who contribute to our society working um, to, to know that there are no dirty jobs. If, if, If we didn't have, this idea that some jobs were so much more honorable than others, then you wouldn't see so many people who are out of work because they just don't, I can't, I can't do that. Yes, you can. If you need to earn money, you can do it. You can do it for a while. You can do anything for six months to a year. You can do any job for six months to a year. I'm telling you, you you'd be surprised how you just settle in. And after the initial feelings wear off and you start getting those paychecks, you're like, okay, now I got to plan my way to the next deal it happens. It, it's, it's fantastic. Um, so I've been a few people who've been commenting on the quarantined airplane. The details that I read, um, are that first of all, some of the crew were sickened and they were treated right there at the airport because I sent ambulances and things. But, um, There's 19 people who were actually passengers who who were sick, and apparently they traveled to Mecca. There's some kind of flu outbreak in Mecca, and from there, they traveled to Dubai, because there are no direct flights into the United States from Mecca, and they traveled from uh, Dubai to the United States on this double-decker, 500-person capacity jumbo jet. And nine of the people who deplaned eventually, after the CDC and all that good jazz were called, Refused treatment. Now, I'm not sure how you can come to America and be sick on the plane. The, the plane is quarantined. And then when they want to treat you, you can say, I don't want to be treated. I don't even know how that's possible that they aren't forcibly taken into custody because they might be carrying a contagion. Anyway, um, so that that was something that people are, are commenting about. And I wanted to, um, you know, do do the the thing here uh, and and cover that story. So there's another big story out today and it's so annoying and I'm going to cover it here because we need to get a few things out into the open. First of all, Bob Woodward has written a book called Fear in which he interviewed not only the president for a few minutes, but he interviewed a bunch of people from the Trump White House and he's attributing quotes to them that they are denying. John Kelly has denied what's in there. Uh, Mattis has denied what's in there. They're denying it because it's absolutely, it's, it reads like some kind of Hollywood tell-all book about President Trump and his administration and how he's incompetent, he's mentally incapacitated, and all that same tired, worn-out tripe that keeps getting trotted out about the president. Now, I don't place any credibility in Bob Woodward writing a book about the president because he openly hates Donald Trump. But now someone, and I, I, I'm using the word someone accurately here, you guys, some individual has actually written an op-ed and the New York Times published it anonymously. They claim that the individual who wrote the op-ed wrote it anonymously and that they know who it is and that this person is a high level staffer at the white house. The title of it is I am a part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. Now please let's, let's look at timing here. You've got the Kavanaugh hearings happening this week and the Kavanaugh hearings are a bit of a sham because we all know the Democrats are all going to vote against a couple of Democrats to save their skins uh, for the November election will vote for, but the votes to confirm him on a simple majority vote are there with the replacement of Senator John McCain, who has unfortunately passed away with his passing and re- governor Ducey of Arizona, replacing him with Senator John kill who'd retired, but is coming out of retirement to serve out the remainder of, Uh, Senator McCain's term or until December recess, whichever they actually finalize. That means that the votes are there. So, yeah, the hearing has to be had, but we all know what's going to happen. So what do the Democrats do? They orchestrate. First of all, you got the timing of Bob Woodward's book coming out and the media firestorm that they're trying to create about that. If you're like me, you've learned very little about the book because you're not interested in it. I've, I've read almost nothing about it except the rebuttals directly from the White House press office. And then you've got this now anonymous letter, curiously timed for the week that Justice Kavanaugh is in his confirmation hearings. So the subhead here is I work for the president, but like-minded colleagues and I have vowed to, par- to thwart parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I have read the whole thing. I skimmed through it. At the bottom, it says the writer is a senior official in Trump administration. Also, at the top of the piece, the Times today has taken the rare step of publishing an anonymous op-ed essay. We've done so at the request of the author, a senior official in Trump administration whose identity is known to us and whose job would be jeopardized by its disclosure. We believe that publishing this essay anonymously is the only way to deliver an important perspective to our readers. We invite you to submit a question about the essay or our vetting process here. So here's the deal. This can have the intended consequence of turning members of the Trump administration on each other as they all try to figure out who's written this anonymous essay, which may or may not have been even written by someone in the Trump administration. It could be a complete fabrication. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, are you saying the New York Times might have completely fabricated this? I'm saying it could be. It could be that a unicorn wrote this with its unicorn horn. A unicorn horn that they, the unicorn dipped into you know, ink and hand wrote and then had it transcribed by another unicorn who used its hooves to type it out on the computer. Or it could be that the unicorn who wrote this with their unicorn horn dipped into black ink also had dictation software on their MacBook Pro and after writing it out, read it into their dictation software and sent it over to the New York Times. It is just as likely, since unicorns are not real, but could be real, just as real as this op-ed could be real, that some individual who really hates Donald Trump and really, really wants to um, you know, see him no longer be the president is working together with someone at the New York Times to get this published because it could damage the Trump presidency. Or it could be the unicorn. I'm thinking it's the unicorn. Anyway, um, so here we are. We've got this going on, this um, so-called, it's anonymous. I mean, if there were any, ever a moment where they would say, our credibility is so much at risk, we're just not going to go here, it seems to me it would be an anonymous op-ed. It has zero legitimacy without the name of the individual attached to it. They don't want to jeopardize their job. Why would they want to work for a presidency that they feel like we should use? Here, given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until one way or another it's over, which is the fantasy of a Democrat. So as I said, because it's written in unicorn voice, probably written by... An astute, an erstwhile, literarily inclined unicorn. A unicorn of a certain age. A unicorn who has spent the additional funds on a MacBook Pro and dictation software. A unicorn who, in the big scheme of things, is just as good as, or even better, dare I say, than an actual human being who's employed by the White House as a senior member of the Trump administration. Moving on. So now I want to listen to Senator Graham. He goes in on the issue of choosing Supreme Court judges. And he makes the point that President Obama made that all of us, I I mean, I know for myself, when I heard Barack Obama say elections have consequences, oh, I clenched my fists, I gritted my teeth, but I had to admit he was right. If you don't win, you don't get to pick. He won. He got to pick. He picked the most liberal justices on the face of the planet. And the Democrats were like, well, it's our turn. Now that it's the Republicans' turn, the Democrats are calling for some moderation. They want someone else. They want to postpone the process. They want to suspend the hearing. They want to do anything they can to stop this madness. You can't have another pick, but they can. Here he is, number four.
2: And I'm here to tell anybody in the country who listens that this is so hypocritical of my friends on the other side. When it was their president, Kavanaugh was right. When you're talking about Roe v. Wade, it's okay to promise the nation it will never be overturned. It's okay to pick a Democratic staff member of this committee, but it's not okay to pick somebody who's been a lifelong Republican. People see through this. You had a chance and you lost. If you want to pick judges from your way of thinking, then you better win an election. I voted for two of your choices, Sotomayor and Kagan, got a lot of crap. I would suggest you think long and hard if you got a political ambition of voting for this guy, because it will not play well on your side. And why did I do it? I thought they were qualified by any reasonable measure given the history of the Senate. But we have turned the history of the Senate upside down.
3: (laughs) So, (laughs) he makes a good point there. And one more thing. I'm on, the, um, I'm on the, the Periscope live stream and someone in here, fast guy, he said Omarosa probably wrote it. Wouldn't that just be interesting? I hadn't even considered that. Okay, so let's say Omarosa wrote this and it's an op-ed that she wrote and saved so that she could use it after her book came out. She gives this to them and she was a senior administration official in the Trump White House. So that's the way they get around the fact that it's not a person who's currently there and they publish it anonymously. I think Fast Guy might actually be some kind of a genius. Now, um, yeah, someone said, probably written by Comey, matinee Mueller, um, Yeah, I got to say, there is no way that a reputable news organization does this. I said that already. (laughs) Over on the YouTube live stream, people are saying it's Jeff Sessions. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think it's Jeff Sessions. He is not an anonymous op-ed writer. He is not. If he ever felt like he couldn't work for the president anymore, he would just quit. He would. Uh, So, again, I'm putting my stock in the unicorn. I'm pretty sure that the unicorn is the one who wrote it and that this may be the first opportunity for us as Americans to see a living, viable unicorn or the proof thereof once they're exposed, and if you're laughing, that's what you're supposed to be doing. If you're actually sitting back there like snorting, you know, and having trouble getting your afternoon coffee down, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Because I don't actually believe in unicorns, just like I don't actually believe in anonymously sourced op-eds from senior White House officials. Nope. I don't believe it for one second. So, uh, so there was, I already, I already, we, so we already talked about that. Really just, it's the the craziest thing ever, this op-ed um the craziest thing ever this this you know the the transgender dysphoria outbreaks these rapid onset outbreaks that happening i already posted the link for you so you can share it read it and share it print it out talk to your kids about it seriously talk to them about it make them aware all right when we get back we're gonna have darren Bax. he's the senior research fellow of agricultural policy heritage foundation stay right there This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. There's a new slogan out, You Are Enough. It's the latest foray into convincing people that self-love is the pathway to freedom and success. This is just repackaged self-esteem nonsense of the same variety preached by secular thought leaders a few decades ago. Instead of going to church, we are encouraged to go to sporting events in huge stadiums on Sunday or stay home and read the newspaper. Instead of studying the Word of God, we're told to meditate on ourselves while holding crystals and humming. How ridiculous. Joy comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So in essence, the opposite of everything we've heard. The meek will inherit the earth. Confidence comes from working hard and living a godly life. Instead of looking for self-esteem, look for God in his scriptures, in his creation, in serving people. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at stacyontheright.com. Please call your senators today. It's time to put an end to the liberals' filibuster. Tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood now. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Again, call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Hi,
0: I'm Larry Nix with Defining Moments. Join me every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. on Urban Family Talk. We talk to people of all ages, stages, phases, and places. From all walks of life, background, and cultures about serious matters, life-altering encounters, second chances, and even how to face life moving forward. Sometimes you hear us get emotional. Sometimes you hear us laugh. But more importantly, you'll hear the truth, the truth that will set you free. All on Defining Moments every Thursday from
2: 6 to 7 p.m. on Urban Family Talk.
4: Donald Trump's America.
2: Fox News has learned that an Iranian company called Keshem FARCE Air used two civilian aircrafts to transfer what is being said by Western intelligence sources to be Iranian weapon components to fighters in Lebanon. The first flight taking place July 9th, departing from an Air Force base in Tehran, stopping briefly in Damascus, Syria, before landing at the Beirut International Airport. One regional intelligence source telling Fox the Iranians are trying to come up with new ways and routes to smuggle weapons from Iran to its allies in the Middle East, testing and defying the West's abilities to track them down. The significance of this story coming as we know that Keshem Farce Airlines currently has three members on its board from the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, a group that is currently under sanctions by the Trump administration. I urge our allies to join us in taking strong actions to curb Iran's continued dangerous and destabilizing behavior. In Jerusalem, Trey Yinks, Fox News.
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: Welcome back to the show. I am so glad to be with you today. Uh, it's a really great day to be doing some radio. <laughs> so right now I want to welcome to the program Darren Bax. He's the senior research fellow in agricultural policy. At the Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Thanks, Darren, for joining the show today.
1: It's great to be here.
3: So, I you have your title is a mouthful. So, you probably write those awesome papers that I love to read and peruse over. And sometimes I'll leave one on the table, and then one of my kids will go, "Why did you leave this economic research paper on the table about blah?" And I am like, "Did you read it?" So let's talk about this. This is the Farm Bill, which most Americans pay very little attention to. But I I feel like it's super important because if we had some conservative policy um, kind of to direct our legislators on the Farm Bill, we could really save a lot of money and help a lot of Americans.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. So just a little background. So every five years, Congress passes a a Farm Bill. Uh, The Farm Bill... Is really primarily a food stamp bill. In fact, most of the spending connected to the farm bill is connected to food stamp spending. Now, the other major programs of the, of the farm bill relate to farm subsidies that are provided to farmers. And unfortunately, you know, if I was to ask somebody walking down the street, you know, we provide, you know, if we have a safety net for farmers to help them, what do you think the safety net looks like? Well. I think most people would say we help farmers when they experience some type of disaster or crop losses, and, and that would make sense. That's what you know a properly focused safety net should be. But the reality is we have, and Congress has a situation where we're giving billions of dollars to primarily very large agricultural producers, not to help them when they have crop losses, but to actually compete in the market, just like if they don't make as much money as they wanted then payments get triggered um, to these agricultural producers. This is very anti-market. It's um, not very consistent with conservative principles, the idea that we don't want to promote dependence. We want to promote independence. And unfortunately, on the farm subsidy side, we really are creating a situation where it's just cronyism and corporate welfare.
3: Okay, so this is some of my worst, and my worst nightmares, which are obviously opportunities for people to see the government as a piggy bank that they only need to fill out the right forms or, you know, claim to be in the correct demographic and then they get these payments and then the rest of us are paying all of these taxes. And all I ever hear from people, whether they're local Democrats or people who are elected officials, everyone says the same thing on one side of the political aisle, which is you don't pay enough in tax. The government needs more money. We need to be able to provide X. This farm subsidy thing is a pet peeve for me. My mom's father and mother, they owned a farm. And they, I mean, they worked their they, they, they worked themselves into the grave, really, on this farm. They supported a family of seven kids on the farm. The kids also worked on the farm. And it was really fantastic because they were landowners, but they never got in on the kind of big farming subsidy wagon, that type of thing, because during the time that they were farming, it was very hard to get those kinds of things if you weren't politically connected. So here we are nowadays where, you know, obviously my grandparents have passed away the farmland is no longer in our family, but we still, as taxpayers, my parents paid these taxes. I'm paying these taxes now as a taxpayer, and I find it ludicrous that we don't just completely overhaul this and fix it so that it's no longer a way for certain special interests to get payments from the government for doing nothing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree, and I, you know, what's interesting is that most farmers really they don't get subsidies um, because most farmers. You know, most commodities, um, like fruits and and vegetables, and and livestock, and most act production and doesn't really get subsidies at all, or if they do, it's very small. Where where a lot of subsidies are coming, or they're going to about six commodities. About so, see, Congressional Research Service has said that ninety-four percent of farm program support goes to just six commodities, and that's corn, wheat, rice, soybeans, peanuts, and cotton. So they're getting almost all the money, and they're not just getting money through one subsidy program, but through multiple programs. And they're not getting the, the, the money to help them when they experience some type of big disaster, but they're getting the money basically to help them compete in the marketplace, just like the mom-and-pop shop down the street has to compete in the marketplace. We're not. We, it's gotten to the point where these ag producers have become dependent on the government when their revenue is lower than expected. And we're spending billions of dollars to help them to do what they should be doing on their own, which is to compete, just like every other business does. So I understand the you know the sympathy for farmers and ranchers, and I, but we can't let that feeling of sympathy and concern and respect for farmers and ranchers to kind of blind us to the fact that there are some very bad public policies that exist. Um, that force taxpayers to spend billions of dollars in a wasteful manner um, to people that really don't need the money.
3: So what is the solution? How do you, because for listeners to the program, they're thinking, okay, well, now I get the problem. On the the part of the farm bill that is farm subsidies, what's the conservative solution to that?
1: Well, I think part, well, a big part of it is to try to reduce the dependence on government to provide assistance at most to provide assistance to farmers when they actually do experience crop losses, not to think that they can't compete in the marketplace. I don't know why there's this kind of lack of faith in farmers that they're somehow not sophisticated of business people as other business leaders that are out there. They, they are. They're very sophisticated, and so is agriculture. So there's there's various farm subsidy programs, and there is some, at least in the and the initial steps, from common sense steps that can be taken to try to re- not to reduce the cost, but also you still have a safety net for farmers. But it just want to be want to be duplication, um, reduce duplication. They don't need multiple programs to assist them. How about I just take one bad program instead of having multiple programs? That at least would be a step in the right direction.
3: Okay, so then. The other portions of the bill, because you did mention them at the very outset of the interview, you talked about right. that the huge portion of this farm bill, we, we hear farm bill, we think obviously farmers, whatnot, but a huge part of it is food stamps. It's it's the food stamp program. So what you're suggesting in your piece at Heritage.org is stronger food stamp work requirements. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting is it being <sighs> Even as unemployment has come down, um, the, food, the number of food stamp recipients has not really come down like you'd expect. Um, over the last ten to fifteen years, the number of food stamp recipients has gone up drastically. I mean, like tripled basically, and the costs are just massive. And some of that can be attributed to the the economy back in 2008, 2009, but economy's gotten better, but we haven't seen the same kind of response. We haven't seen the, the roles, the same roles come down. And the problem is that, you know, if we're, if we're providing money to um, these to individuals, there should be a reasonable expectation that they work or look for work. And again, it goes back to the idea of dependence and not trying to create dependence. If we should be trying to promote independence and encouraging people to actually work and flourish on their own, not to create a situation where they're looking to the government to help them. Um, and unfortunately, when you don't have these kind of strong work requirements, you do create that type of dependency. So the House has some, some strong work requirements. Um, certainly my colleagues that are through stamp experts here at Heritage would argue that you we know, can you know, do a lot better with the work requirements but it is a step in the right direction. And unfortunately, the Senate does not address the work requirement issue. So right now, the House and the Senate are working out their differences. So they each, the House passed their farm bill, the Senate passed their farm bill. So they're in what's called a conference where they work out the differences between the two bills. And the House bill has their work requirement provisions, the Senate doesn't. So one of the big fights that's going to exist as to whether or not we're going to have a farm bill this year is whether or not they can work out the differences between yeah, you know, the, the the work requirement issue. And quite simply, I don't know how a conservative farm bill could, a truly conservative farm bill gets passed if it doesn't have strong work requirements. To me, if it doesn't have strong, strong work requirements, if that matter, subsidy reform as we're talking about, then it really should not be passing. It's certainly not a conservative farm bill.
3: Mm. Okay. All right. So stronger food, ca- food stamp work requirements um, and then farm subsidy reform. We discussed that and then repealing the Obama Clean Water Rule, which I actually thought that was already repealed. So um, newsflash, Stacey, it's not repealed. Why? <laughs> what, why is it still there?
1: Yeah, so there, so you, you kinda, so there are three issues <clears throat> that we've been focusing on that we think are really critical. I and mean, then if Congress has to pass a farm bill this year, that, as you laid out, the 2 same work requirements, the farm subsidy reform. And one of the biggest regulatory issues facing farmers and ranchers is the the Obama administration was referred to as the Clean Water Rule, also known as a WOTUS rule. It's basically a rule, regulation, on the, um implementing the Clean Water Act. Basically, the Obama administration is trying to regulate every water imaginable, um, you know, from, you know, man-made uh, ditches to what most people consider just to be dry land. Um, the Trump administration has taken action to get rid of that rule. The problem is it's not that simple because the environmental groups are going to sue the Trump administration which they have um, and unfortunately one of the courts has said that the Trump administration did some should not have delayed the enforcement of the Obama rule that they didn't do it properly so the votus rule that Obama rule is in effect for about 26 states In about 24 other states, it's not in effect because there's an injunction that exists. So, for some states, the water's rule technically is alive and well. um, That might surprise people. And and until, quite simply, you know, really I think Congress needs to – first of all, Congress needs to take action anyway to define what waters are regulated because even if the Trump administration came up with the greatest rule in the history of rules – a future administration can get rid of that rule. So ultimately, we'd want Congress to define what, what's regulated. But the problem is with this court issuing, basically saying the water's ruled alive and well in these states, it's made it a real necessity for Congress to take action right now to make it clear that the Trump administration should be allowed to withdraw the Obama rule. If nothing else, so they can create a new rule to clarify what is actually covered in the Clean Water Act. Until then, farmers and ranchers are really going to have a lot of confusion, and they already had confusion regarding this rule. Now it's really problematic because, like I said, in half the the, the country, the rule actually is in effect, so it's a mess. And Congress really, if they're going to pass a farm bill and address issues impacting farmers, you need to address the regulatory issue that impacts farmers probably the most, and that's this WOTUS rule.
3: So speaking of, because this is it's three parts, and people are commenting that they they can't believe that the farm bill is about food stamps. <laughs> so we're all in the same boat. Like, whoa, what's what's? So do do we have illegal immigrants getting food stamps? It's because that's a question that people are wanting answered.
1: You know, that's something I was just thinking about um, earlier. I'm, I'm sure that we probably are. Um, that's something that needs to be examine it as well, but I don't want to say that I have some great data on, on anything like that.
3: But yeah. I, I
1: just provide some context on the food stamp issue is just about the cost. So so each year, this farm bill costs about, I don't know, well, it's about 85 to $90 billion a year. Um, about 70 to 80% of those costs are food stamps. So this is really almost pretty much all food stamps. Um, it's about 20% or so, 25% is led to agriculture.
3: Oh, my goodness. So first things first, and I know you have three fantastic suggestions, and I, I support all three of the suggestions in your piece at heritage.org. But shouldn't the first thing we do is rename the farm bill the food stamp bill?
1: <laughs> like, I agree. Like, I agree. I, you know, I do call it the food stamp bill sometimes. Uh, you know, one of the things we have, recommended, I've recommended, is that the, the food stamps have no business being in this bill, and there should be separate legislation to address food stamps, and then you have another bill that should address the, the farm programs, and, and unfortunately what they do, it's a political reason why they're combined together. The idea is, from the politician perspective, is to get these programs passed by creating this kind of log rolling, getting these different interests together. So you can get these bad programs through, um, and what happens is you can never reform the food stamp program, and you can't reform the farm subsidies because you have these interests combining these very different programs together. So it's done for political reasons; it's not a good policy reason. And really, the reality is we should be separating these out so that we can actually reform these programs.
3: Mm. Another fantastic interview from someone from the Heritage Foundation, one of my favorite organizations. Thank you so much for joining us today, Darren. Senior Research Fellow in Agricultural Policy, Roe Institute for Economic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Fantastic work. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. Have a great week. We will be back with more tomorrow. God bless you. Have a fantastic night.